Good morning, and again, happy Valentine's Day. It is a blessing uh, to be with you this morning. I want to invite you again, as Sonia did to our well service next weekend at 5 p.m., I'm really excited next week at our live stream in the morning. Austin's going to be preaching on a fantastic passage uh, from 1 John. I'll be preaching there in the evening at 5 p.m. Uh, so hopefully you can join us. It's such a blessing to be together and sing some songs together and worship and stay socially distanced and in mass, but it's a blessing to uh, spend that time together. So please make sure and, and join us there. This morning, it's Valentine's Day, so we should be talking about love, I guess. And 1 John is talking about love a ton. So pretty much anywhere you put down your finger in 1 John, you're going to find something on love. But as John, the writer of the Gospel of John, then continues to write more about love, I think that John would tell us that it is selfless generosity, continuing to give of yourself. And I have to say uh, to those who are leading us in worship weekly and those who are, are behind the scenes, thank you for doing that. Uh, at least when you are, are watching this, you get a chance to see me and you see some of our worship team. There's so many people who are helping and just giving selflessly right now. If you could give them some love on the chat, it's such a blessing to, to see them. I keep trying to say that we are doing basically all the hard parts of church without the good parts because we're working hard. We're basically putting on a church service and not being able to experience you all being here and enjoying it and participating in those conversations that we have. So I'm so thankful for so many people giving of themselves selflessly, reminding me of the love of Christ uh, every single week because it feels a little weird like you're putting on a TV show and not a church service. So I'm so thankful uh, for everybody who has been part of that over this time, reminding me uh, to love everyone like Christ would try to love us. So in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, as I said, you just put anywhere down and John's talking about love. Let me go ahead and read that passage for us. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. I told you there's a lot of it. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our friends. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If God loves us and we fully get it, then God's love can live in us and be made complete in us. That's the sermon right there. I'm just going to go ahead and sit down. I wish I could because that's it. You could contemplate that for the entire week, for your entire life, and still not get it. When I was in preaching school, the teacher told us you should preach no longer than 15 minutes because you just need to get one idea out there. But the problem is you can't do that and keep a job. So you have to talk for a little while uh, longer uh, than that. But just contemplate that. If you just want to just, you know, put me on mute for the rest of the service, that's okay. Join back up for the worship, but just contemplate that, that the love of God can be made complete in you. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? And as we've continued to think about in 1 John what John is trying to give us is a vision of positivity. It's so easy for me to think about whatever small fear that I have getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden there's something that really isn't that big of a deal, which is so big in my mind. It's so easy for me to let my fears do that. What if I could learn to let love grow in me? To let 
positivity to let that stuff grow in me. So it's not just like, oh man, I have this little anxiety about this thing and it's growing and growing. What if you could allow the love of God to mature you? What if you could see your relationships and the things that you're failing at right now in a certain relationship, you're just not going to do it six months from now and you're going to be better for it. And so is that other person. Can you see your life with, with hope and tethered to this kind of love? Do you think it's possible that you could love more and more like God? Again, just go ahead and just turn me off. If you want to contemplate that for a while, but could you just sit and say, I want to become more complete in the way that I love. I want to love more and more like God loves me. I think that's hard because we live in a world where we're constantly asked to make judgments on social media all the time. Like, do you like or not like this? Or how are you going to do this? And we've become, I think, more and more judging because of it. I was at Trader Joe's on Wednesdays uh, stocking up and I like to go there uh, when I'm at the church and head over so I don't have to park in the Trader Joe's parking lot because that is the pit of hell. And uh, so I was stocking up and, and Trader Joe's is very tricky because I walked over. I was like, I need just like two bags worth of stuff. But the problem is Trader Joe's always knows exactly what I want. You're walking around and you're like, Sriracha hummus. How do you even think of that? Like, That's amazing. That's exactly what I want. And so I'm checking out and I realize this is way more than two bags. It was four four bags and a gallon of milk. And so I'm thinking, hey, there's no way. I don't have my car over here. What am I going to do? So I was like, all right, I guess I'll just walk the cart over to the church, unload it, and then walk the cart back. But I was thinking as I was doing this, everyone in their car is judging me right now as I am walking and, and doing this because I know I, I would be judging the person who's doing this. It's just one thing if it's like an older person, perhaps, so you can tell has trouble getting around. You can give a little bit of grace to that person, but someone who is at least as able-bodied as I am, which is, you know, debatable. But as you see that person walking around, I know that if I was in the car, I'd be like, hey, what is this guy's deal? And that, that's one thing that I think, you know, moving carts around the city, we can all agree is really wrong. Our world is divided at times, but that's one thing we all would agree on. And so I thought about how, like, as I was doing that, everybody in their car is like thinking that. And this is a little bit of a PSA, just in case you saw me in the car, uh, I then returned it. So I was thinking about how for that moment, as everybody saw me, they're all thinking the same thing. Oh my goodness, what is this guy's deal? But a few minutes later, they saw me walking with an empty cart back to Trader Joe's. You know what they probably thought? There goes a hero for the day. I mean, maybe, maybe it wasn't that deep. But that's how we can often, we just see something and we don't give a whole lot of grace around the situation. We don't think, you know, maybe he's going to return it or maybe, you know, there's something that could explain why she's doing this. Like we just like think, oh, it's a snap judgment. And oh, like, you know, that person, I can't believe that person would do that. Or we see something good and we go, wow, you know, that's really cool that that person is doing that. So just in case you saw me, I did return the cart. I think it's easy for us to get into this trap where we don't give a whole lot of people a lot of grace. And what John is saying here is you and that I can mature in my love. If you're in any sort of relationship, you can mature in it. That thing that that person does that drives you crazy, perhaps you need to have a conversation and, and work through that, or you could learn not to respond in the same ways. 
was reading a book several years ago, and this book talked about how this person was in therapy and talking to her therapist about how she had a bad relationship with her dad. And it wasn't an abusive relationship, but just one of those where uh, never did she feel like she did enough or she would go and accomplish something and her dad just never seemed satisfied or happy with what it was that she was doing. And after some months and talking through this in therapy and figuring it out um, and just helping her get through this, the therapist asked her, well, why do you keep going to him for love when you know you're not going to get it? Why do you keep returning to the same source if you know, if you've learned over and over again, that's not where you're going to get love? Sometimes in those kind of situations, we do need to enter in and have the conversation, but sometimes we need to just go, yeah, I, I guess I can get my love from other places and understand that that's not what that person is going to give me, or I'm not going to fall into that same trap. Every time I get into that same trap with that person, it's just not getting anywhere. Okay, then how can you change your approach? Because you can mature in love. You can grow in how you love other people. You can mature in how you respond. John writes the gospel of John, and I think very much he's building on the scene of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. John chapter 13, verses 3 and 4 uh, tells us this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And I love how that passage starts. Why is Jesus able to do this? Because he knows who he is. Jesus knows that he had come from God. He was returning to God. So he's going to continue to love. Yeah, the people in that room, they don't necessarily get it. They're going to treat him really poorly. All of them are going to desert him. But because he knows who he is, he serves. He gets down and he washes feet. I think about how he's in a moment of great agony and pain. In just a few hours, he's going to be sweating blood. It's not that he's not stressed or anxious about what is to come. I've got to be honest, at times when I feel stressed or when I have something that's on my heart or my mind, I don't treat people around me all that well. And it's often the people who I love the most who I can hurt the most. If I have stress about some situation or something is coming up and I think about Jesus filled with anxiety about this moment, but he just says, I'm, I'm going to choose to bend down. Like think about how you would react or I would react in this scene as these people are doing this stuff and all this commotion is going on as they're confused about what Jesus is doing. I could see me in this moment saying, guys, we're at our last meal. Come on. They're going to paint pictures of this. Like, don't you want to be looking a little bit better than that, but Jesus doesn't do that. And then he teaches them through words and in this action, that the greatest person isn't the one with the highest paying job. The greatest person isn't the one who's liked by everyone around them. The greatest person is the one who chooses continually to serve and not to get a desired outcome. I'm not serving you to manipulate you. I'm serving you because of who my God is, and then who I'm called to be. 
I found that it's so true in, in my life that if I have conflict with somebody, if there's something that's going on that perhaps I need to address or figure out, if I just think, how could I serve that person? Things get a lot better. If I don't just like withhold, because what happens at times is we can just like withhold our love and the person doesn't even necessarily realize that we're doing it, but we're stewing over in the other room and we need to be able to say, all right, I'm going to try and serve this person. And there comes a point when perhaps you need to make some adjustments and some boundaries like that story I shared where the woman needs to maybe say, yeah, I don't need to try and get my love from that relationship anymore. But I think for most of us, if we just said, all right, I want to try and serve this person. I don't want to withhold love or be bitter about them. I want to try to enter in to think about the things that they're thinking about. To maybe feel what they're feeling. It's a word for all this and it's empathy. We often get sympathy and empathy confused, but they're very different things. Sympathy is feeling bad for somebody. And that can be something that leads you to action. It's a good thing at times. But empathy is a much more deep reality, really thinking, trying to think first of the other person's thoughts, feelings, and actions. For example, you might think that somebody is is a real jerk. And maybe they are. But as you get to know their story, how they were raised, the things that they've experienced, what they've gone through, it opens up your heart in a totally different kind of way to that person. There's an article I was reading that had differences between sympathy and empathy. And and it said this, the emotional process called empathy is something else. It identifies with what someone is feeling and additionally actually feeling those feelings yourself. This isn't a metaphor like walking a mile in someone else's shoes, but more literally than not, as not more literally than not, as has been shown, sympathy is feeling for someone. Empathy involves feeling with them. Empathy is saying, I'm going to really try my best to understand this how you do. I'm going to try my best to align my heart with your heart and see how you're seeing the situation. Can we be more mature in how we love? Andy Stanley, who's a pastor at a church, I think it's 30,000 people, North Point Community Church in Atlanta, a very, very large church. He says that one thing he does is if he gets a negative email he calls that person. He doesn't want to do it over email because he's found that isn't a helpful way to communicate. And so if someone has a criticism for him, he just calls them on the phone. He says, generally people are surprised because you can be a lot more bold in an email than you can in a conversation. And so it usually catches them a little bit off guard, but he says he has good motives. He generally just wants to know, why are you feeling this way? Can we have a conversation about it? And if Andy Stanley, pastor of a 30,000 member church can do that, you can too. <laughs> You can pause and contemplate, how could I perhaps approach this differently? Or maybe we need to have a conversation about this conflict so we can move to a better point. I'm not just going to withhold my love from you and go away or respond in tension. I'm going to choose to try and serve you as Jesus did. Serve you as Jesus does for all of us. It's this sort of love that changes the world. Is your love 
maturing? Are you getting better at it? Do you keep falling into the same ruts? Maybe you need to, to pause and say, all right, this, this relationship is hard for me, but let me just try and figure this out. Because the great news is that you can love more like God. Do you really believe that? Because at times I struggle to, if I'm honest. To be the kind of person who sees others and their needs, not just thinking about myself. In Matthew chapter 15, there's a super weird story that, if I'm honest, I just read right past because it's hard to explain. But here it is. Let me read it to you right now. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. Jesus answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. If you're weirded out by that story, I'm with you. And I'm not even going to give you a great explanation of it because I still don't understand it. And if you read commentaries about that passage, it says it would have been distasteful in that time and place to call a woman a dog. And I'm like, yeah, we get that. Like the, the translation is loud and clear. Other commentators will say, well, actually he calls her a dog, but it's not like a, like a vicious street dog. It's actually like a lap dog that you love. So it's kind of a nice term. So it's like, well, let's not try to clean this up. This is just a, a weird story that is not going to make much sense. Jesus seems like he just had a, a bad day. And it's, he starts with saying, oh, I'm only here to serve Israel. Like it's generally not what he's about. So it's this very odd story. And again, I don't really want to try to get into the theological reasons that this might've happened. But what I can see about Jesus in this story is that for whatever reason, he knows she can handle this. And as he says some stuff that really just seems mean and, and abrasive and, and odd and very un-Jesus-like, she keeps coming. And this is one of those that you just don't want to try to emulate yourself. I wouldn't recommend, you know, I think this person can handle me calling them a bad name. Like, don't, don't do that at home. This is one like, this is for Jesus only. But you can see in other parts and stories where he, he knows what's going on in people's minds and hearts because he's God and we're not. So let's not try this one at home. Again, I don't really fully understand what all is going on in this story. But something I can see is that for whatever reason, he knows that she can handle this. And as he tries to like push her off the side for whatever reason, I think he knows that she's going to keep coming. And she eventually is not going to give up. She's going to get exactly what she wants. When we think about how we interact with people, can we think about them more than ourselves as we're having that interaction? Can we look to the interests of others? And this is one of those moments where you go, wow, yeah, I'm never going to be as complete as that. That's great. That's good. We don't want to like try and throw disses to people because that's, that's not good. 
Can you grow in like hearing their hearts and going a little bit deeper than just the surface level? Can you understand all that they're coming at you with? Can you simply just say, I think a good mission of any church would be, we're trying to get better at loving like Jesus. Like we're just, we're trying to get better and we're failing. We're picking ourselves up again and we're trying because this is our goal. God's love can be made complete in us. Our church, if you're not familiar with the Church of Christ as a denomination, came out of the restoration movement in the early 1800s. And the main goal of this movement was to get back to just simple Christianity and and to unify people because there were all of these different denominations and all of these things that existed. And so as you think about the name Church of Christ and also out of this movement came the Christian Church and Disciples of Christ. So even as they were trying to unite everybody, there are three strands of it. So not always perfect. But the goal of it was basically to say like, let's get back to just simply love and teaching Jesus. So the name Church of Christ, it's pretty broad. Like this is a way that we can all unite people and bring people together because the people during that time and as the start of the restoration movement was happening, they recognized that there was a problem. One of the leaders in the early restoration movement is a man named Thomas Campbell and he worked as a minister at a church that was called this, an old light anti-burger seceder Presbyterian church. And that's not anti-burgers and hamburger because no church could succeed with that as a platform. But think about that. Old light, Annie burger, seceder. And so the people of that time, including Thomas Campbell and others, said, this isn't right. Like if we have all this stuff on our sign, like what, how is this communicating Jesus at all? And so the movement tried to be centered on just simple Love, And I would argue that at times the Church of Christ has not done all of this very well. At times we're known more about what we're against than what we're for. This was the goal of this movement because how are we possibly going to communicate that we are growing in Christ's love if we have a name that's like 15 things long? This is what I think we all need to constantly be called back to. You can love like Christ does. And yes, you're going to fail at it, but dust yourself off and try again. You can love sacrificially, selfishly, and the love of God can be made more complete in you. What a goal, right? What if we could strive to love people like that? What if we could say, I want to try to get more mature in my love six months from now. I want a deeper understanding of what this means. I don't want to, as I have something stressful hanging over my head, snap at people. I want to be able to to love people who are in my, my circle and in my community the same way that Jesus does. It's really beautiful when we see it. Mother Antonia, here's a picture of, of her. She, uh, was a, a nun. It's just a very interesting story. She was uh, divorced in her mid-50s and was basically, they said, a Beverly Hills socialite and very wealthy, but she wanted more purpose 
in her life. So she wanted to become a nun. And the Catholic Church actually at first said that she couldn't because she was divorced. And so she was denied at first. Eventually, uh, she was uh, allowed to participate. But she ended up serving for 25 years in Tijuana, Mexico, in one of the most notorious prisons in Mexico. This small woman. And what's really fascinating about her is most nuns probably would choose to live outside of the place, especially if it's a dangerous place like a prison in Mexico. But she very specifically wanted to have a cell with the people she called her kids. Because she said, how could I possibly love them if I'm leaving every day? And to be there with them. So she did that. Stayed in that cell for 25 years, even though she didn't have to. You can read a book about her called The Prison Angel. And there was a point in that book that is told about her life where there was a riot that was happening within the prison. The guards had gotten kicked out. She was away and was coming back. And so this riot is happening. Gunshots are being fired back and forth. And this small little woman just walks into the prison. And she says, my children, my children. The fighting stopped as these grown, notorious criminals started crying and saying, Mama, Mama. It's because she had entered in. It's because she knew that if she actually lived in that place, she could love them differently. It's beautiful when we see moments like this. Our daughter, Nora, just turned three a couple months back. And so she started at uh, preschool and she has only been there for, for five days. And this one, she goes a couple days a week with masks and separated as much as the kids can possibly be. But she hardly knew of kids her own age because when the pandemic started, she, she was two. And so we're really thankful that she gets the opportunity to do this. But she's mostly spent time with, with family in her life. So that transition of letting her go to school uh, was, was hard on her. And so she said for the first day, she cried quite a bit, but she said she made some friends. And on the second day, as we dropped her off, she was crying a little bit. And on the car ride home from the second day, she said, I was crying. But then my teacher said, we love having you here, Nora. And she said she stopped crying. And she's been having fun ever since. We're so thankful for that teacher. We're so thankful for all the teachers right now who are doing an incredibly hard job. We're thankful for people who are on the front lines who are saying, hard things that they've never even necessarily anticipated, saying to people who are really struggling. But when you see it, when you hear it, when you hear of somebody who just sees what's going on in somebody else and says just the right thing, it changes the world. And may we all strive to do that with our lives, 
and with our words. May we understand this unbelievably good news that you, that I, have the ability to show the complete love of God to the world. That's what John teaches us here. And may we strive for that daily. May God's love be made more and more complete in all of us. May our love be maturing.